Why the world needs the gospel, uh, part one. It's funny, when I started doing the notes this week, I'm like, this is part one of three. By the time I got through, it might be part one of six. We'll see. Uh, so we'll just call it part one. Um, why the world needs the gospel. So I want you to think about where we've been in the last couple of weeks. Paul, his introduction of himself, his uh, desire to be with the people, his description of the people. And uh, last week, those two verses that may be some of the most famous in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous, the just, will live by faith. I love what John Stott has done, and I think some of you bought his commentary. I love it how he sets up the context of this. So we think about verse 16, the apostle says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, and the reader says, why? Why are you ashamed of the gospel? And he answers, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Then the next question, how so? How is it the power of God? How so? Verse 17, in it, the righteousness of God's revealed. That is God's beauty and his way of salvation. And our text this morning then answers the question, but why is this even necessary. Why is it even necessary? And that's our text this morning. Why is the gospel even necessary? Or as I put it in our title, why the world needs the gospel. Romans 1 verses 18 to 24. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Why is the gospel even necessary? Romans 1 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Why the world needs the gospel. Those of you who know me well know that I have these two competing personas as a pastor. And I think it's, it's probably typical of the two competing types of churches. Churches seem to me to boil down into one of two types. There is a, there is a church or a Christian or a type that emphasizes this righteousness of God, this law of God. Um, they're not afraid to talk about the wrath of God. Um, 
they, they present at times the law of God as the way of salvation. Um, and then there's another type that emphasizes in, in some sense his grace or his righteousness. Uh, they reference it in, in, a, in a way that uh, it, 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 covers, it covers sin. And so any, any talk of God's wrath, it's, it's purposefully avoided or softened. And if you know me, I, 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 I'm always afraid to go off one side or the other. Um, but the, the, the truth is, really, both sides of that have to be emphasized. Because they actually both grow best together. When we emphasize the righteousness of God, when we take time and delve into what his law states that we are to do and not do, the calls that he's given for what a Christian life is to look like, when an awareness of our sin grows, when an awareness of the distance between creature and creator grows, then on that other side, the awareness of the grace and the mercy and the power of Christ's saving blood grows. We don't, we don't sacrifice one to the detriment of the other. But I find it interesting that Paul starts his gospel with verse 18. What's the matter with the world? Why are things not the way they should be? Well, Romans, let me tell you. Here's why. God's wrath is poured out on the world. It is revealed. It is, it is what we see. It is what causes wars and dissension and racism and materialism and brokenness. and re- oh, it, it is God's wrath in a big general sense being poured out on the world. It's what's wrong. And it's great that he starts this way. Because for many, it's the great stumbling block of God. It's a great stumbling block. What do we do with evil? Right? And if you've had religious conversations in any workplace, I would venture to say that, that that's, that's what you hear maybe most often. If God is good, why do children suffer? If God is good, why does this bad thing happen? And I think it's profound and it's right and it's God-breathed that he starts with this. What you see in the world, oh human beings, in Rome and in Grove, what you see in the Ukraine right now, what you see in human trafficking is the wrath of God being poured out on the world. What do we do with evil? What do we do with the wrath of God? It just so happened this week, uh, my psalm reading for this week was Psalm 58. Psalm 58, I don't think you find this on greeting cards anywhere. Psalm 58, verse 10 and 11. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. God will judge. His wrath and his vengeance against sin will be awful. It'll be horrific. 
You know, rather than a human being needing uh, to get them through their faith, needing to see a picture of God and his glory in heaven, maybe the thing a human being needs to see is the wrath of God being poured out on the sinful. Revelation 14, another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who had authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put your sickle in and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Verse 20. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 185 meters. We do no service to each other. We do horrible disservice to the world if we pretend that the wrath of God is not real. If we pretend that this current state of, of God allowing certain things to happen to his people and in this world, this is my father's world, is going to go on forever. The wrath of God is being revealed, he says. The sermon in the sentence this morning is uh, the severity and the scope of God's wrath requires the Christian to seek God's righteousness and live by faith. The previous statement that the apostle has said, the just, the righteous, will live by faith. And the severity and the scope of God's wrath requires the Christian to seek God's righteousness and live by faith. So it is incumbent upon those who belong to him to also make it known. Because the great sin that we're going to look at is the, the, the sin of suppressing the truth. Mankind longs to suppress the truth. And this is the truth that mankind longs to suppress. And I'm sorry to say, but this is the truth that's been suppressed in many churches. The wrath of God is real. The wrath of God is poured out on all the ungodly and the unrighteous. And it is only a matter of time when they will face this righteous judge. And he's told us that in advance. His wrath burns and he withholds it for a season until all of his children are gathered. It's incumbent upon us to make it known. The Christian, we make it known in many ways. We make it known especially as we tell our testimony, as we share our story, as we tell others the reason I have been spared from the wrath of God in eternity is not because I'm a good person. It's not because I go to church. Christ has taken my place. We tell it to the world. God's made himself known and they suppress the truth. It's interesting, this next section, basically the apostle is going to take all types of people and philosophies between verse 118 and 320, and he's going to take all the various philosophies and say, these people are without excuse, and these people are without excuse, and these people are without excuse, and then he gets to 320 and he says, but in the gospel, the righteousness from God has been revealed. And we call that an alien righteousness. So uh, don't lose heart in these next few weeks 
as we go why everybody is without excuse because it's it's sandwiched in between the righteousness of God is being revealed and now a righteousness of God is being revealed by faith but this section in a general sense this is why the world needs the gospel uh, there's a three-step cycle that we see here, but we also see it in all of humanity. Okay, so it might be good for you to write this down. There is a three-step cycle, uh, human beings in their relationship with God. The first step is the truth of God is revealed. Some truth about who God is, it is revealed. Uh, think about it at the very start in the garden. Okay, in the very start, what does God reveal to Adam? He is creator, controller, sustainer. He feeds him. He takes care of him. He provides everything necessary. He longs relationship with him. There is no reason to be ashamed. He is delighted in him. He has these cool walks in the garden. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, we love that cool breeze, don't we? Like all of us, it's been so hot. When we get that cool breeze, think about that, that God created us to like that. What did Adam have revealed? The beauty and the wonder and the sufficiency of a Savior. That's the step. God's truth is revealed. The second step, the truth is rejected in favor of idolatry. We present the truth of God. He alone is to be worshipped. He alone is to be trusted. And human beings see that truth, and apart from the saving work of the Spirit of God, they say, I don't want, I don't want to submit to Him. I don't want Him to be my King, to be my Lord. I don't want to submit to Him. I don't want to give up this, 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 this. I don't want to give up control. I don't want to give this up. And so there's this exchange that goes on, right? It's exactly what happened in the garden. We say it was the apple. No, it was the promise of the apple. Right? It was the promise of the apple. Eve, has God surely said this? Let's question what he has said. Eve looked and she saw the apple. It was good for eating, and it was desirous in making one wise. Our text is going to say the exact same thing. They claimed to be wise, they rejected the truth of God, and they became fools. That's the second step, the rejection of what God presents in favor of of idolatry in the third step then the wrath of God hands them over gives them over to depraved debased minds and they go from bad to worse we see it in the garden if we get time this morning uh, at the end we'll look at Pharaoh if we don't get time um, and you have time in the week uh, look at Moses's interaction with Pharaoh it's again the same cycle God has revealed himself. He reveals himself through all these powerful miracles to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh keeps saying, no, no, I will not. I will not let him be my God. I will not let him take my slaves. I will not. And after the sixth, after the sixth plague, the scriptures say, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. As a result of turning against what God had showed him, powerful miracles, five times then God himself responds so that's that cycle uh, Douglas Moo in his uh, commentary on Romans says every person is without excuse because every person whether a first century pagan or 20th century materialist has been given a knowledge of God and has spurned that knowledge in favor of idolatry 
in all its varied manifestations. All, therefore, who stand under the awful reality of the wrath of God, and all are in desperate need of the justifying power of the gospel of Christ. We will never come to grips with the importance of the gospel of Christ or be motivated as we should be to proclaim it until this sad truth has been fully integrated into our worldview. Oh, brothers and sisters, how we have lost that. And I speak as one of you. How I have lost that. The awe-inspiring, magnificent mercy of God. As Jonathan Edwards said in his famous sermon, we are like a, a spider hanging over a flame. John Stott writes in his commentary, the wrath of God is God's settled and perfect righteous, the settled and perfect righteous antagonism to evil. It's directed against people who have some knowledge of God's truth to the created order, but deliberately suppress it in order to pursue their own self-centered path. And it is already being revealed in a preliminary way in a moral and social corruption, which Paul saw in much of the Greco-Roman world of his day, and which we can see in the permissive societies of ours. God's wrath is being revealed. Now, I want to give you a caveat to that. Christians sometimes uh, take a general principle like that, and, and they make it specific. So they, they see the suffering of a human being, and they say that suffering is because you sin against God in this way. Sometimes that is directly true. Sometimes it is directly true. But other times, as Jesus talks in Luke, when, uh, when his disciples say, what about the blood that Herod mixed um, with, the, with the Grecians and, 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 and gave to his sacrifice their, their blood? And Jesus says, do you think the others were any more righteous than them? And then he says, what about that tower that fell in Siloam? I think it's Luke 18, maybe. Um, the tower that fell in Siloam. And he says, uh, were those 18 people who died, were they any more deserving than the rest of you? And so my caveat is the wrath of God is being revealed. And, and here's how I think you should think about it. Uh, all good science fiction seems to have an alternate reality, right? Star Wars. I mean, how amazing is that? I mean, didn't it blow your mind the first time you saw it and it said, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? What? There's a possibility that there are worlds out there that are so far advanced a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? What about the Matrix? What about the Matrix? Does, does the Matrix not blow your mind that first time when that thing comes and he takes Keanu Reeves and he, you know, we find out he's just basically a battery in a whole new world? Right? How many sermons did you hear about the red pill or the blue pill? What about most recently? The upside down world and Netflix. Stranger Things. Right? I, that may be one of the best illustrations. They enter this upside down world where you can see landscapes and trees and there are things that fly. It's, it's like our world but it's dark and it's broken and it's unsafe 
our God says, this world as we exist in it is more similar to the upside down world in Netflix than the utopian societies of some of our other science fiction realities. It is broken. Now, you got to grasp that as a Christian because otherwise you'll be discouraged for the whole rest of your life. Uh, I think I've told some of you, d d discouragement is, is maybe the, the number one thing that I face. Like, oh, Lord, um, does anything I do matter? Does anything I say matter? Does this get across? Um, oh, Lord, look at, look at our society. Look at our country. Oh, Lord, it's just going to get worse. And, and for the Christian... To settle on the fact that, that the wrath of God is revealed. It's, it's, it's revealed and it's being poured out in horrible ways. And, and when we see it, the, the tendency is to shake the finger at God and say, don't you do that. That's not nice. They don't deserve that. Our text says we deserve that and even more. His wrath is being revealed. Um, and so if we go in our outline, the first great sin in uh, verses 18 to 20 is the suppression of truth. Truth is suppressed. Truth concerning God is suppressed. Uh, and it makes sense that truth would be suppressed, right? If you are an unrighteous person living without the gospel of Jesus, it's absolutely in your nature to suppress the truth, to hide it, deny it, redefine it. For the truth about God puts all of humanity in peril. So we have terms like, oh, is that your truth? Well, that's not my truth. What we are talking about here is the truth concerning God. And in theology, we have uh, what we call common grace and special or saving grace. Here, the apostle is pointing out what we call common grace. And he's saying all of humanity, in, its, in a normal, healthy mind, all of humanity has sufficient revelation of a creator. And all of humanity fights against it. And I mentioned this before, but it is amazing how much of our taxpayer money goes to sending vehicles way out into the solar system, hoping that we can find life, human life, came from somewhere other than a divine God saying, let there be light. Why? Because if God is real, then he deserves my worship. I am to obey him. I am to submit to him. He is to be my Lord. He has a say over me and my body. He has a say over what is right and what is true. And so he says, it has been common to them. They have known this. It is a general revelation. And we, as human beings, apart from the grace of God, we live with this ignorance, this bliss. I don't want to know. We are like people who do not want to go to the doctor to find out what is wrong. We would rather pretend it doesn't exist. What do they, what do they suppress? It says it is these things that could be known. It is God plain to them. It doesn't mean that what God has revealed to all humanity is sufficient to save them. It is sufficient as his signature on all of humanity and the world. This, what we call common grace or general revelation. I think it's in Stott's commentary where he talks about there were two discoveries in one of the scientific journals and one had to do 
with the subatomic particles. And the guy writing on, uh, I look at the subatomic particles and I'm amazed it, it points to the creator. And another one was talking about the ever-expanding universe. And he says it, it makes us who are scientists to be thankful to a God or whoever or whatever caused the Big Bang. In, in the smallness and in the largeness, it's scientific saying, who do we thank for this? Paul is saying, it's God revealing himself. The plain things in creation, in morals, in human beings having a, a basis of right and wrong. Uh, it is God's common grace that brings the rain to the godly farmer and the ungodly farmer. But it is more than that. It's also God revealing himself in wrath and brokenness. It's God revealing himself in the ungodly and the unrighteous. And it's God revealing himself in all that is wrong. The revelation of God saying, you who have turned your back on my law and my word, of course, of course your relationships are horrible. Of course you struggle with all manner of disorders. You have turned your back on what is right and true and teaching me uh, about from, from God. They have no excuse. He said, their existence was plain, but they refused, they refused him. We also have what we call special grace or supernatural revelation, saving grace. Um, we're, we'll come back to that. Uh, here's the conclusion of that point. God's given sufficient general revelation to all of humanity throughout all times. So he says in verse 20, they are without excuse. It's, it's very important that we get that point. God says, I've given enough. My fingerprint is all over this place. There is enough for people to know I exist. They're without excuse. And I think it's important we get that because there's a terrible lie out there um, that somehow, I don't know where it, when it came from, but you've probably heard this, that those who haven't heard the gospel, those who have not had an opportunity to reject Jesus and his gospel, will be spared God's divine judgment. That's just a terrible lie. And it feeds the sense that it's not for us to tell other people. Well, if they don't know, why, why should we tell them? There's a chance they might reject, and at least now they're kind of safe in their ignorance. The scripture says there is no one without excuse. That's why the gospel is necessary. The second thing he mentions here is in verse 23. It's what we call the noetic effect, what happens to our minds. Uh, Martin Murphy writes, after the fall, Adam and all of his progeny, all of his offspring... They became faulty in their reasoning process. Put another way, the mind is subject to misunderstanding truth. The noetic effect of sin leaves the mind in a state of confusion. Now, that may be too intellectual. I like to put it this way. As a result, we have broken choosers. We have broken choosers. We have broken justice-o-meters. We have broken morality. It's broken. It's fallen. It is a result of sin. We make wrong choices. And it's better, it's not just, I made a mistake. Uh, we make choices that are fallen. And so he says that here in the text. Uh, they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. 
They claimed to be wise and they became fools. Right? The absolute way to grow in your faith is to do the opposite. It is to take the role of claiming to be a fool and saying, I am laying my foolish heart out to the wisdom of God and his word. It is not, I know all of these things. It is, teach me, O Lord. Correct what is wrong. Give me the humility to accept your word, even when it goes against my very nature as a person. I trust in you. And so in verse 23, then this exchange happens. All right, this exchange, it happened with Aaron when Israel had been released, right? Moses is up on the mountain. They don't know what's happening to Moses. They don't know where to look for advice. Uh, this God has just delivered them. And what do they say? We don't know about this fool. Aaron, make us a God. I'm telling you, it, it, this, this cycle, it happens with every single one of us. We exchange the glory of God to idols. Verse 23, they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So the heart that turns away from the knowledge of God, it's not left as a blank slate. It then gravitates towards what we call idols. Um, and I've defined idols in a couple of ways. A couple of years ago, I defined it, and I did a really good job. I'm hoping one of you remembers, because I couldn't find it in my notes. I remember writing it, and I'm like, that's profound. You know, that, that should be quoted somewhere. But I, I think I came pretty close. Anything or anyone that replaces or outplaces God in our value system. Anything we would desire more, trust more, love more, look to for meaning more. That's what an idol is and what it does. Now here he's saying there are images that are made to look like a man or an animal. And in that world back then it was. And if you ever see these idols, that's what they are. A lot of them are creatures, extra heads, extra arms, legs. Um, you know, just they're, they're, they're these images made that we control. And so that's what happens. Humanity turns away from God and they run in full pursuit of their idols. And so part of the job of a Christian, part of the job of a church, part of the job of community and accountability and friendship is we help each other in identifying and dismantling idols. For anything can become an idol. They exchange the glory of God and give it to idols. So American Idol is adequately named. It is properly named. It is a person saying, I want America to adore me. Exchange the glory of God for an image. The glory of God who is to be forever worshipped and praised above all things for an image, for a title, for pleasure, for recognition, for money, for material. Um, that's that cycle. God has revealed we turn our back on him and we create our own making idols. Our glory is in and given to them. Uh, if the first lie is that those who don't hear are safe, I think the second lie is that there are real atheists in the world. There are people who claim to be an atheist, but really they have something that operates as a God. It is most likely themselves. Um, 
we'll have more opportunities to talk over this. So that's the exchange. And we're going to spend more time in the result in the next coming weeks. But let's just look at verse 24 quickly. Verse 24, therefore, so then as a result, 25 should also be added. I just had to stop somewhere. Um, verse 24, here's the result. God gave them up. So again, uh, Exodus chapter 9, Pharaoh, God hardened his heart. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Let me just tell you this. All idolatry leads to immorality. All idolatry leads to immorality. Uh, it, it just, it's just it's the way it works. Now, it was really simple in his day because pagan temples were full of lust and immorality. But any man who sets himself up as God, any man who puts his company as the thing that will bring meaning, the thing that gives me security, will commit acts of immorality. Maybe it's against his customers. Maybe against his employees. Maybe it's against his family. For sure it is against his God. Idolatry breeds immorality. And he'll, he'll, he'll go further into that in this next, pay, in this next verse, this next section. But that's the result. God, in some sense, gives them up. The severity and the scope of God's wrath, it requires a Christian to seek God's righteousness, for us to not look at the world around us and compare our morality to the world around us, but to seek his righteousness and to live by faith. And I would add to that and to share his gospel. His gospel is good news for the world. His gospel is the answer to why things are horrible. And we all have these seasons where things are just wonderful and perfect. It's funny, if you have a lot of kids, there's rarely a time when they're all just doing well. We, all, we usually accept two out of three is pretty good. Like, you know, I'll say, hey, let's enjoy this moment, right? Um, and in the church, you know, oh, it's pretty good, it's pretty good. These people don't hate these people yet. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's pretty good. And I, I don't mean it to say that there are times of just wonderful joy and excitement. But we live in the upside-down world. We live in a world that is taken and it is broken. And our hearts long for the real world. Our hearts long for the, for the world with Christ, for it to be known and to know one another, to be loved and cleansed and pure and not ashamed and not afraid, to be free of sin and all its entanglements and all its causes. We long for that world. But the gospel tells us that we are currently living in the world that is under the wrath of God. And we as his people have been given a light and a hope. And it's incumbent upon us to share it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have made things clear. Some of these truths are hard for us, Lord. It, 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 to the sensitive one in here, it, it, it's, it's just, it seems so unfair. There are times it just seems like, oh, why, why on earth did you save me? Father, we are like orphans who have been adopted into a wealthy family and we're viewing a horrific orphanage and we're told we can't rescue them. And we feel that. Some of us just feel that. Like it, it, I, it's hard for us to share these truths because we know, we know what we deserve. 
at times we, we, we get the, the fact that we have been, we have been rescued and, and it is amazing and it is wonderful and, and we almost feel guilty about it. Father, help us to, 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 to grasp that and have it, have it play out in our worship. To grasp that and have it play out in our compassion for you have not told us who belongs to you, but you have told us that we are equipped and we're called and we are free to offer your gospel. For it is the salvation for everyone who believes, regardless of their wealth, regardless of their race, regardless of their intellect. It is the power of God for the salvation of sinners to everyone who believes. And in that same way, Lord, that you have rescued our hearts, you've invited us to share that good news. So make us, Father, not out of guilt, but out of joy and amazement and love for our human brothers and sisters. And we might share your gospel freely. Lord, now as we come to this sacrament, as we take the bread, we drink this blood, it, it is this picture of your divine wrath. <clears throat> For if Jesus got what our sins deserved, how amazing is your grace. How amazing is his love that he took that. We might become children of God. That is what we are. So we pray, Father, you help us grasp these truths, believe them, to rest in them. And I pray that even this week, you open doors for us with great honor and dignity, treating human beings as image bearers to share the truth that your wrath is being revealed. And there is a day of judgment coming but your grace has also been revealed. And it is more than we could have ever dared hope for or imagined. And that you are still, Holy Spirit, in the business of calling your elect to yourself. We pray you would make it so. We thank you for your patience. Lord, we pray that you bring lost people to yourself. For you deserve worship. Not the things you have created not the idols that we have created. You deserve it. May it be so in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The night he was betrayed, our Lord took bread as I do ministering in his name. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body. It is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. The wrath of God was revealed in the cross of Christ. The grace of God was revealed in the cross of Christ. As I said earlier, these two truths go hand in hand. Our gospel of grace becomes so much greater when our understanding of God's wrath and hatred for sin is great. He broke his bread and said, this is my body. It is to be broken for you. In that same manner, he took the cup said, this cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. It is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from this, all of you. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, we celebrate our Lord's death until he returns. 
Brothers and sisters, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. 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 These are the gifts of God for the people of God. This table is for you if you have surrendered to Christ. This table is for you if you have said, I, I do not bring my righteousness. I wholly repent of my righteousness, and I trust in what you have done for me. I believe it, and I rest upon it. This table, then, is for you. But will you help me serve this morning? When you are ready, come to the Lord's table. But you remember that definition, huh? <laughs> Christ blessed for you, Mom. God bless you, sister. Kim is blessed yet for you, sister. God bless you. Tom is blood given for you, my brother. Given for you, Jake. Ron is blood shed for you. Amanda is blood shed for you, sister. God bless you. Sam is blood shed on your behalf. For you, Claire. Angie is blood given for you, sister. And Travis is blood given for you, brother. Blood shed for you, Jim. God bless you, brother. Joanne, Christ's blood given for you, sister. And for you, Jake. God bless you, too. Uriah's blood given for you, my brother. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for my brother Uriah. Thank you for bringing him here. The encouragement he is to me. The face is good to preach to. I pray you bless him and his family. Pray for his son, daughter, and his grandchild and their move. Pray for Lisa this day. Lord, you give him wisdom and an abundance of your grace. Lord, that you hold her so close to your side. We pray these things in Christ's name. Justin, Christ's blood given for you, brother. Blood shed for you, Scotty. Christ's blood given for you. God bless you, brother. Charlotte's blood shed for you, sister. God bless you. Blood given for you, Justin. God bless you, brother. Katie, his blood shed for you. Vanessa, his blood shed for you. Heidi, his blood given for you, sister. God bless you. Blood given for you, pardon. Glad we didn't make them bigger. So we open our service with Psalm 50, no, 19, I think it was, Psalm 19, talking about the glory of God's world. We sang a song, this is my father's world. As a little kid, I remember telling my dad when I heard that song, I'm like, Dad, that's the song for my funeral. Because he shines in all that's fair. Remember, we talked about fair a while back. It doesn't mean even, it means beautiful. And it is a wonderful thing that there is still general revelation, right? We still, we get to see it. And rather than praising the Big Bang or evolution, we get to see it in those moments. We get to say, praise you, God. I can't wait to see what you have in store for the new heaven and the new earth. His body and blood have secured a place for us forever. Take and eat. 
cup of salvation, take and drink. Let's stand and sing. The new song we're going to learn together this morning, as we've been praying for you guys, it's based on Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, I want to sing a chorus for you before we start, uh, but listen to it then. There's a chorus. Like the roar of mighty seas, rolls of thunder, hear his people sing.
let us go forth to serve our Lord and Savior, sons and daughters, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be all glory, honor, dominion, and majesty, now and forever. Amen. Amen.